15 of 1 Corinthians. Now, you may recall that over the last few weeks in our Holy Spirit Give series, um, we've been able, enabled to cover chapter 12 of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And then next week, One will finish up the Holy Spirit Give series as he takes us through that famous chapter on love found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Chapter 13 is, uh, is the text that we often, so often, should I say, hear at weddings. And in fact, I know that we even had it at my wedding. Um, but it is actually not a teaching on marriage specifically. It is in fact a teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I'm kind of just punting for next week's sermon. So come make sure you come, come check out One's words on that. So as I mentioned, we've been going through the gifts of the Holy Spirit in chapter 12. But perhaps this morning you're visiting Roots of Fellowship for the first time. Or maybe you haven't been with us in a while because in winter you don't go out on Sunday mornings, at least early. Or perhaps you, you, uh, you, you're not the type of person who can even remember what you had for breakfast, so let alone what we covered last week. In any event, do not stress. Uh, I will head straight into my customary contextual catch-up. Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians to address major issues and divisions within the Christian community, within the Christian community in Corinth at large. And so in chapters 11 and 14, these four chapters, Paul then addresses this divided church in Corinth specifically about their weekly worship gatherings, like we do here on a Sunday. He addresses them about their weekly gatherings within God's household or the church. And so in these four chapters, in chapters 11 through to 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul instructs the church in Corinth to conduct their weekly gatherings in a way that reflects God's unified household, consisting of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he instructs them that, they sh- that, their, that their com- the communal gathering should be done in a way that reflects and honors the order that exists within the Trinity. And so that is why Paul, in these four chapters, also addresses poor practices within the worship gathering, which were even dividing earthly households within the, the greater church. The Corinthians were behaving in ways within their worship gatherings that were putting strain on husbands and wives. And thus they were behaving in direct opposition to the order God intended within marriage. In chapter 11, as you may recall, Paul addressed some of the issues that were causing division within marriages as well as other issues that were causing division within the greater body because of the harmful ways in which the church in Corinth was practicing the Lord's Supper or communion. Then in chapter 12, Paul begins to develop this really, really cool metaphor about the church as a human body. Now we know that the human body is one. When we measure attendance here on Sundays, we don't count how many fingers were here, how many eyes were here, toes. Although if you'd like to inflate the figures, I suppose you could do that. We count how many bodies filled this place. As you know, a body is one, but it has all these different parts, with each part serving the greater body with an important and unique role. And so over the past three weeks, we have discussed the spiritual gifts within the church in light of this body metaphor. And then finally, last week, we saw that what the Spirit does through a number of these unique gifts. Chapter 12 taught us that the spiritual gifts, or charisma, were in Paul's day, and we here at Rooted Fellowship believe that they still are today the manifestation of God's Holy Spirit in and through God's people. Or to put it another way, the spiritual gifts are God going public amongst His church. The spiritual gifts are God going public amongst his church. Chapter 13, which we'll cover next week, is all about how meaningless, though, these spiritual gifts are when they are practiced without intentional, sacrificial love, or agape, as Paul writes in the original Greek. 
In fact, the gifts of the Holy Spirit cannot be practiced in a God-honoring way without this agape love. Why, you ask? Because in 1 John 4 verse 8, the word says that anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And so if we do not love, it is if we do not know God. And therefore God, the Holy Spirit, cannot truly go public in a person who does not know him. God's love is at the center of the gospel, and this has implications for us as the church. Paul essentially says that the highest value within a church, the highest value within a church gathering, needs to be that of a gospel-centered love. Now, I don't want to shorten on his sermon for next week, but it's crucial for us to understand that the attitude of love or love, a fruit of the Spirit, not the gift of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit, as set out in Galatians 5.22. Love, the fruit of the Spirit, agape love, completely underpins any teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the church. An attitude of love is crucial when it comes to practicing the gifts of the Holy Spirit within the body of believers. Love needs to be at the very center of believers' hearts and thoughts when we seek to practice the spiritual gifts as the body of Christ here at Rooted Fellowship in the great city of Pretoria and beyond. So as we come to the text this morning, we need to bear intentional, sacrificial, agape love in mind. Chapter 14, as we'll get into in a moment, is all about practicing two gifts of the Holy Spirit in a true, excellent, loving and God-honoring way. Now let me paint a picture for you of a church service in Corinth. Many members within the church were having incredibly spiritually charged experiences at these Corinthian church services. As Paul writes in, in a response to what was going on to the church in Corinth, we therefore know that many churchgoers, both male and female, I'll say that again because it's important for us to keep in mind this morning, Many churchgoers, both male and female, were getting up, drawing attention to themselves, praying out loud in unlearned languages, whilst at other times during the worship gathering, people would begin to pray or prophesy, teach, and then others, including even their very own spouse, would butt in and say whether their prophecies were correct or not. The Corinthian churchgoers had begun to think that the primary purpose of a worship gathering was for providing an opportunity for an intense spiritual experience or for a platform to get up and speak one's mind. And so this meant that the church was very chaotic. It was distracting people and it was not very loving. And this was especially the case for first-time visitors to the church in Corinth. And as a result, the Corinthians' worship gatherings were, provide, were proving to be a stumbling block which prevented many from hearing the one true loving gospel. And so this is where we pick up today's text. We will be going through Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth regarding speaking in tongues, prophesying, and exercising three gifts in a way that builds up the body of believers. Sorry, exercising these gifts in a way that builds up the body of believers in a loving, orderly fashion. Two gifts. And so, I've titled the, 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 the sermon this morning, Unwrapping Two Mysterious Gifts in an Orderly Manner. Unwrapping Two Mysterious Gifts in an Orderly Manner. And I've titled the message this way because we are going to be unpacking just how the spiritual gifts of tongues and prophesying should be conducted in a church gathering, in order to build up the body. As we will soon see, Paul says to the church in 1 Corinthians 14.5 that he wants them all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And so clearly, these two spiritual gifts are vitally important. But this morning, I have described the gifts as mysterious, because firstly, God's ways and means are often mysterious, and they are not completely known to man. But God is, however, sovereign, 
and good. And we trust that he knows what is best for us. We must not forget that prophesying and speaking in tongues was God's idea, not ours. The second reason that I've described the gifts as mysterious is because these two gifts in particular seem to be quite misunderstood within the local church context. And as a result, they've caused a great deal of pain and division, as was clearly the case in Paul's day, and in my experience, they have caused a great deal of pain and division in our day as well. But before we eagerly delve into the super juicy word this morning, let us pray. Holy, holy, holy indeed are you, Lord God Almighty, King and Creator of the universe. It is my prayer, Lord, that this morning you lift up the name of Jesus in this word, as well as when I teach and preach here today. Jesus, be glorified through it all. We thank you, Lord, for your love, your agape love. And we praise you, Lord, because you are good. We praise you for your gospel that makes us brave indeed. We ask that you would come, Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Spirit, we ask that you would glorify God the Father now through our thoughts and actions. We thank you that we can ask this in the power of the name of Jesus Christ, our loving, living Lord and Savior, whose love never, ever fails. Come have your way amongst us now, Lord. We humbly ask that you would come and move amongst us as we seek to learn more about you. We surrender this moment to you. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen and amen. If you've brought your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It will be on the screen, but uh, I encourage you to follow along with your, your Bible, whether it's on your phone or uh, iPad or what have you, or if it's in a, a written form. Prophecy and Tongues, chapter 14. You ready for it? It's long, so let's go. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give indistinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. We okay? Nearly halfway. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. 
In the Lord it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convinced by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Orderly worship. Verse 26, what then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, let me pause there. Uh, Only often says that we're very intentional at Rooted, and I think that's why we planned a space as a weekend for this, for this talk. It's a joke. I'm kidding. Um, don't panic. Just, just bear with me. We'll get into it. I promise you it's not that bad. We'll get into those verses a bit later. But I know that you're going to kind of pause there and think, well, what does that mean as I'm going through the rest of it? Don't worry, we'll get to it. I promise you it's going to be fun. Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. We thank you, Lord, for this, your word. Amen. Okay, so as you can see, there are a lot of verses we need to get through this morning. And so I ask that you would kindly indulge me as I, as I deal with the, the text in three sections. So we'll be jumping around a bit, so if you've got your Bible open, just keep it open in front of you. And we're going to deal first with the gift of prophecy, then tongues, and then we'll deal with Paul's juicy words on orderly worship, specifically involving those two gifts. As you may have seen already, the gift of prophecy seems to be Paul's preferred gift when it comes to these two gifts in the context of the gathering. So in the context of the gathering, prophecy seems to be his preferred gift. And that's why this is the bigger gift today. So obviously I've got a gift here today. It's a bigger one. Because obviously we unwrap the bigger gifts first, right? Although as we get older, I've noticed that as I get older, that the cooler gifts actually come in smaller packages. But hey, so we're going to unwrap this. So... I don't know if you can all see it. What does that say? Prophecy. Fantastic. <coughs> but quickly, before we do unwrap this gift, let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Where Paul reiterates that all the spiritual gifts begin with love. Read verse 1 again with me. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So let's unwrap this awesome gift. So Paul encourages us to seek spiritual gifts. Now this is a sermon possibly for another day, but as we seek to establish the spiritual gifts within our context here at Rooted Fellowship, we need to hear Paul's words. We can seek and ask God to bestow upon us his numerous spiritual gifts. In fact, scholars say that if we look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, seeking the spiritual gifts is a moral and biblical obligation for all Christians. Yes, we must not envy another's gift, and we should certainly not challenge God's sovereignty and authority as to how he distributes 
his spiritual gifts. But Paul's words are clear. We may earnestly seek to discover our spiritual gifting. We may desire a spiritual gift. But we do this, why? Because we are motivated by love. Not by jealousy or by fame or whatever else, but by love. So what is prophecy? What is this gift of prophecy? Well, the spiritual gift of prophecy, as with the gift of apostleship, does not mean that the person who has been blessed with this gift is a capital P prophet who God used to address the rebellious nation of Israel and write much of the Old Testament. We believe that the canon is closed. The word of God is perfect and complete. And so a person with the gift of prophecy cannot add to the inerrant, infallible word of God. But what then is the gift of prophecy? Read with me in verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Sam Storms, a theologian um, who writes extensively on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, says that when Paul speaks about the gift of prophecy, we need to realize that he is speaking about a revelation from God. Or to put it another way, prophesying is foretelling in an audible, intelligible, human word, something that God has spontaneously brought to mind, pertaining especially to the kingdom of God. I'll say that again. Prophesying is foretelling in audible, intelligible, human words, something that God has spontaneously brought to mind, pertaining to the kingdom of God. And of super importance for us this morning, This revelation can be confirmed in Scripture. It never goes against God's Word. So if you're a married man and you feel that God is telling you that you should marry another woman, and then you go home and tell your wife and tell that other woman that that you should be marrying them, guess what? That is not a revelation from God. And you are not exercising the spiritual gift of prophecy. Why? Because this flies directly in the face of of God's command not to commit adultery. Note with me in verse 3 that Paul says the gift of prophecy must be used to build up, encourage, or console, to convict or strengthen, and to equip the church so that they can boldly proclaim the gospel of God's grace. Paul's key instruction regarding the exercising of the prophetic gift is that it is for the building up of, or a big word, the edification of the church. And this implies that it is not to be misused in order to manipulate or control others. And if this is the case, the gift is not in fact in use at all. I cannot prophesy in my own flesh in order to make someone feel guilty about something and then manipulate them to do something. That is not building them up. And I cannot prophesy in the power of my own sinful flesh because I think someone is hiding a sin and I want to expose them in front of the entire church. Again, done that way, it does not build up. It is, however, interesting for us to note this morning that Paul seems to highly rate the spiritual gift of prophecy, so much so that he instructs the church believers in Corinth to seek this gift out. Why? So that the church may indeed be strengthened. In fact, in verse 24, if we can jump to verse 24. Verse 24. Paul states that the gift of prophecy may even be used as an evangelical tool within the gathering, as he says, verse 24, but if all prophesy in the power of the Spirit and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So to sum up, the gift of prophecy. This gift speaks aloud a revelation from God about the future. Yes, it might be in the form of a teaching, 
but it speaks aloud the revelation from God about the future in the power of the Holy Spirit. It edifies, encourages, and consoles the receiver of the prophecy. It does not go against God's word, and God can use it to convert unbelievers within the worship gathering. So now, we come to the gift of? Yes, tongues. You can say it, tongues. We come to the, gift, the second gift of tongues. Now, tongues have got a bad rap over the past 2,000 years. And as you can see, I've wrapped it pretty badly here today. Oh, I knew I'd crack you at some point, Sam. <laughs> With a bad joke. Okay. This gift has possibly been the most divisive, controversial issue in 21 centuries of Christianity. But today we're going to unpack or unwrap a number of things from the scriptures and hopefully we can clear up some confusion and misconceptions about this gift. The gift of tongues can be defined as the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or one that you may have learned. We at Rooted Fellowship believe that this gift as we have said over the past few weeks, we and many of our church partners and networks believe that this gift, along with all the other spiritual gifts, are still in existence. And they are good and beneficial to the church when practiced correctly. Paul, in fact, practiced this gift as well, and he was not embarrassed to say so. If we can go to verse 18. We'll go to verse 18. So if you could read with me in verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But the gift of speaking in tongues is also not God's greatest gift to be exercised within his highly favored church. Nor is it a deceitful tool of the devil, though. The gift of tongues, like all the gifts of the Spirit, has been given to believers for the common good of the church. Verse 26b, we'll go to 26. We'll jump to 26, verse 26. Let all things be done for building up. And this gift essentially has three unique functions. Speaking in tongues has three ways in which it can, or at least in which it should be employed. Although the first way has come under fire and is still being debated. So firstly, uh, the one that's up for debate is that the gift of tongues can be used as an evangelical tool that converts unbelievers outside of the gathering. Follow with me in verse 22. Verse 22. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, we have an account where the Spirit falls on all of those that were present, and they were able to speak in different intelligible languages. The reason, though, that this function has come under fire is because many theologians argue that it is only after Peter preaches at Pentecost that many put their faith in Jesus. But the Bible does contain accounts of people being empowered to speak other intelligible languages. Secondly, the gift of tongues can also be used as a private prayer language. We're going to go right back to the beginning. Let's go back to verse 2. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak, uh, speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mystery in the spirit. And then staying there, verse 4a, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. And then we go to verse 6. And finally, verse 6, now brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless instead I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Therefore, clearly the point of exercising the gift of tongues is to edify oneself, just as practicing the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting do as well. So if I have the gift of tongues and I'm alone in my bedroom praying, that's okay that it edifies myself and grows my relationship with the Lord. But as mentioned already extensively this morning, the point of the communal worship gathering is to edify who? The body of believers. That's why we gather here on a Sunday. Not to show off our musical abilities, 
not to create a platform for people to come and speak, but to edify this body of believers. Speaking in tongues privately is done to edify oneself if you have this gift. Paul states that he's in favor of a powerful experience of prayer, but if it distracts other people, or quite frankly, if it freaks them out, especially if they are unbelievers, then it should stop. Why? Because in that moment, I am loving myself more than I'm loving my fellow believers and my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We can even make idols out of our own spiritual gifts, and quickly our preferences become our prejudices. And why? Because we are not loving. And when we do that, and oh, do we do that, at least I do that, we really need to repent. Finally, the third way that a believer can speak in tongues is when it is practiced along with the gift of interpretation of tongues. And then it can be used within the worship gathering as these two gifts, when practiced concurrently, functionally equate to the spiritual gift of prophecy. Have a look with me, verse 5. Verse 5. The one who prophesies, remember here Paul is talking about the worship gathering. So the one who prophesies within the gathering is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. An uninterpreted tongue within a corporate gathering is like playing 30 seconds with someone that you've just met. Right? We saw it here this morning. It was a bit of chaos. Yes, some groups did really well. Well done. When you're playing 30 seconds with someone you don't know, it's stilted. It's difficult. It ends up being quite hard to move your little game body forward. But an interpreted tongue is like playing 30 seconds with someone you know incredibly well or just being on a team with like a beast of a husband and wife who's just like, oh, you know your uncle's first name? Yeah, 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 this guy. <laughs> they're machines. Before time's up, they're flipping over to the other side of the card. And your game body just keeps on moving forward. An interpreted tongue is much like the gift of prophecy, which uplifts the body of believers. And despite what many have preached through over time, speaking in tongues is not a heightened sign of maturity in Christ. Let me say that again. Speaking in tongues is not a sign of heightened maturity in Christ. In fact, church, gifts of the Spirit are not signs of hearted maturity. The fruits of the Spirit, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, yes. Those are indeed evidence of a believer's spiritual maturity. But the gifts of the Spirit are not. The church in Corinth viewed praying in tongues as the language of the angels. And so this caused them to overemphasize this gift within the worship gathering. They also believed that those who then exercised this gift were so supernatural, of course they must, it must mean that they were extra favored by God. And this meant that the communal worship gathering in Corinth was non-intelligible, disorderly. And so Paul writes against this, verse 23. Follow along with me, verse 23. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? So he instructs them, verse 19, we go back to that. He instructs them that he would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so church, if we want to lovingly serve those who come to our church gatherings, especially those coming to church for the first time, we need to be mindful of this. And if you are sitting here this morning and you do have a gift of speaking in tongues, and you truly desire to speak in tongues at a gathering for the edification, building up of the body, then Paul has a word for you too in verse 13. Verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. If you're here this morning, you feel that you want to be used in this gift, in this way, and you want to use it corporately, 
then I urge you to pray that God would give you the gift of interpretation of tongues so that it may be used to edify us at Root of Fellowship. In order to finish off the gift of tongues and to drive home the point, have a look with me, a couple of verses now, we're going to go together, verses 7 to 12. So we're going to read from verse 7. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not, uh, not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Now, our worship team and setup crew were once again amazing this morning. Thank you. And there was a real sense of beautiful order as we praised God in song. But if you would have come here at about 7.30, quarter to 8 this morning, you would have wondered what is going on because there's chairs being scraped along the floor. Um, mics are being tested, so we got a bit of feedback. Guitarists, keyboardists, they're playing uh, scales in different keys. Vocalists are doing all these really weird, wacky, one, wonderful vocal exercises. And honestly speaking, it's not really an inviting place in that moment. But as we saw here this morning, when these talents are then exercised in an orderly fashion, man, they become a powerful way in which the church is built up. And so it is with tongues and the interpretation of tongues. When practiced in an orderly fashion, they can powerfully edify the church. And so to sum up the gift of tongues, the gift of tongues seems to have two to three functions. The gift on its own could possibly be used as an evangelical tool outside of the worship gathering, although this is still up for debate. Tongues can be uttered as a private prayer language for a believer's self-edification, though. And finally, if or when the gift of tongues are interpreted, it can essentially amount to the gift of prophecy within the church worship gathering. And so we've covered those two gifts, unpacked them. And so now we turn to Paul's instructions on orderly worship from verses 26. And so Paul explains to the church in Corinth and to us today that the gathering is a place that God's Spirit should be working through everybody. Because, turn with me to verse 26. What then, brothers and sisters, because Paul uses the Greek term adelphoi, meaning both men and women. So what then, when you come together, each one, can we say that together, say it with me? Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all of these things be done for building up. We don't have to go there, but in verse 1, Paul addresses the entire church, the whole church in Corinthians, and tells them to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now in verse 26, he says that the gathering is a place that God's Spirit should be working through everybody, both men and women. It should be working through everybody. Now you may say, well, that can't be right. Surely just One or the preacher, sound guys, coffee team, Celine, Stephen, Lesejo, Ora, because they're on the, on the roster, surely the gifts just work when they're serving, right? Well, this may be a shock to you, but no. The gathering is a place that God's Spirit should be working through everybody in a unified way. In a unified and orderly way. Now, if you've been coming to church and city group over the past few weeks, and you've become intrigued as to what your spiritual gift may be, I have some great news for you. This is the week that, that your city group facilitators will be helping you identify your possible spiritual gifting. And so if you're not in a city group, well, then I invite you to come chat to me afterwards, and we can plug you into one this week. We then go to verse 27. Now verses 27, instruct us on how to specifically exercise the gifts of tongues and prophecy. Follow with me, verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, 
let there be only two or at most three people to speak. And each in turn, so Paul is saying be orderly. And let someone interpret. So Paul is saying allow for two to three people to speak in tongues and exercise the gift, but ensure that someone who has proven to exhibit the gift of interpretation is there. Verse 28, how do I know that? Because it says, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them with this gift of tongues keep silence in church and speak to himself and to God. Everything within our worship gathering needs to have a measure of order because one's worship reflects what one believes about God. I'll say that again. Everything within our worship gathering needs to have a measure of order because one's worship reflects what one believes about God. And God the Father is a good, good God of order. Great, so that's tongues. Then let's look at verse 29. Let two or three prophets, small p, let two or three prophets speak. So in other words, those with the spiritual gift of prophecy, let them speak and let, let the others, still being men and women, Paul is talking to, weigh what is said. Verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So if you are being told a prophecy, allow the person sharing with you to finish. This was not happening in Corinth. For you can all prophesy, verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. 32, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And so as it was with tongues within the gathering, so it is with prophecy. There is tremendous order to all of this. It happens one at a time. Prophecies are tested and weighed one at a time by some of the members attending the gathering. If a prophetic revelation is received within the gathering, it should be prayed over, discussed, and assessed, and then addressed to, a, to the person or people that the prophecy is about. The person who then receives this prophecy should also then carefully assess whether or not this word is for their edification. And even if the prophecy does not resonate with their spirit immediately, they should still take the prophetic word seriously into consideration. Sam Storms says that we need to cultivate prophetic humility within the church if we want this gift to be exercised. So what's prophetic humility? That means that those with the gift of prophecy are given the space to get it wrong because of their fleshly fallen state. And those receiving the word are given the space to receive or not receive the prophetic word. It is also not the responsibility of the one with the gift of prophecy to ensure that the revelation they receive comes to fruition. Why? Because that would be prideful and not loving. Now we turn to verses 34 and 35. Many of you have been kind of nodding off and this is where you want to meet me again. Okay, let's get there. Verses 34 and 35. Many of you will, will um, be curious as to know what we're going to say here. As I've mentioned before, the worship gatherings in Corinth were not only playing out in an extremely disorderly way, but it is actually thought that the disorderly, divisive conduct was even taking place between a husband and his wife within the gathering. So as Paul wrote in chapter 11, and again as he now writes in chapter 14, this was harmful to the gospel. Because Christian marriages are supposed to reflect something of the unity and order that exists within the Trinity, God's self. Christian husbands in Corinth were supposed to be sacrificially loving, leading, and honoring their wives. And Christian wives were supposed to be submitting to the order of creation, and thus their husbands' leadership. And so as we come to these verses this morning, it appears as though Paul is addressing specific Christian wives who were publicly disagreeing with their husbands' prophecies and teachings within the worship gathering. He was addressing specific Christian wives who were publicly disagreeing with their husbands' prophecies within the worship gathering. And this is why he says, verse 34, 
as in all the churches of the saints, the woman should keep silent in the churches. Paul is not saying that women should refrain from prophesying and praying aloud. How do we know that? Because in chapter 11, verse 5, he actually encourages it. And so this would be contradicting that. Instead, Paul carries on in verse 34 and says that, For they, these Christian wives, are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. In other words, they should remain silent during the gathering, if or when their husbands is prophesying. But Paul does not prohibit them from questioning, weighing, or assessing what their husband has prophesied. Because I want you to look with me in verse 35. If there is anything they desire to learn, so if they seek clarity, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak, essentially in opposition to her husband in the church. So let me, let me paint a picture for you. I really wants the gift of prophecy. So this week I pray hard, but actually, you know, I also want to make my mark on Rooted Fellowship. And then next week, Honest says, we're going to have a time to kind of pray and seek God's face and, and hear a word from him. And then I'm sitting in a group with Honest, Confidence, Kenny, Nala, and Kirsty. And we're sitting there, and I, and I share with him, you know, guys, uh, in my fleshly state, I say, you know what, um, I think we should buy the new Menland Arena in 2019. You with me? You know that, like, big arena? So I think that's where we should have church. So I say that's where we should have church. So Kenny, Nala, Oni, and Confidence, they kind of, thank you, thank you, brother, for sharing that word, and they kind of, they kind of nod their heads. Thank you so much. Now, Kirsty is sitting there, and she can either say, she can kind of, maybe it's not so discerning with her spirit, she can kind of say to me, uh, what on earth are you thinking? Like, are you crazy? That's, that's not great at all. And so she can confront me in that public space. But that would then show that there's this disunity or um, division within our household. So instead, Paul says, no, 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 on the way home in the car, she can say to me, listen, babe, why did you share that like that? Were you sharing it because you wanted to make your mark? In your sp or did you honestly feel prompted to do that? Finally, yeah, let me say this. So men... If we don't want our wives to be having those thoughts, perhaps we should indeed be praying for the gift of prophecy or the gift of discernment, as set out in 1 Corinthians 11, 14 to 15. Or perhaps we should even be praying for them both. Because there's a responsibility on us to lead our households in a way that glorifies and builds up the body of Christ. And so finally then, Paul confronts the church in Corinth's lack of love and their sense of pride when he says, verse 36, we can turn to verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that it has reached? So Paul is saying, so are you disorderly members, the ones causing chaos, so special that God only speaks through a few of you? And everyone else should be interrupted when you speak? No, verse 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. And so Paul is saying, if you truly are a loving, special servant of the Lord's, then you need to follow what I'm saying. Verse 38. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So we need to be humble and take these instructions into account. Verse 39. So my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but all things should be done decently and in order. Practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit with love and in order so that the body of Jesus Christ may be strengthened. No matter what the gift, whether it's tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, no matter what the gift, as we saw a number of them last week. We need to practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit with love and in order so that through them, the body of Christ may be strengthened. We've mentioned a number of times throughout this Holy Spirit Gives series that the charisma or the gifts of the Holy Spirit have been a major cause of division within the global church for approximately two centuries. And we've seen this play out over the past three weeks as we covered chapter 12 
And we've once again seen this today as we read chapter 14. The church in Corinth struggled with many issues around the spiritual gifts. And this is still the case today. But isn't this sad? Because Sam Storm shares with us and he says, God's power is indeed evident in a variety of forms. But then he says this, the spiritual gifts are the primary expression of God's work in our midst. So yes, God's power is indeed evident in a variety of forms. But the spiritual gifts are the primary expression of God's work in our midst. So clearly we have been covering some pretty cool and intense stuff. But on the other hand, as a church, we have a massive responsibility to account for. What have we done with the spiritual gifts we have been given as individuals? Do we even know what they are? What have we been doing with the gifts we have been given as a church? And do we provide safe spaces for them to be practiced, nurtured, matured? Paul's words are clear to us at Rooted Fellowship this morning. They're as clear as they were to the Corinthians in first century AD. We need to earnestly desire and seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we need to practice these gifts within our weekly gatherings in an orderly and loving way that edifies the body of Christ, glorifies Jesus Christ, the head of the church. We need to practice the gifts of the Spirit in an orderly and loving way that edifies the body of Christ, glorifying Jesus, the head of the church. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the many gifts of your Spirit. And Lord, we admit that often we do not understand your ways and means, and specifically your gifts. But we acknowledge, Lord, that your ways are far beyond our comprehension. And so, Lord, we ask forgiveness for the times that we have either belittled your gifts, abused them, idolized them, or neglected them. We humbly ask now, Lord, that your spirit would come and move here this morning. That you would equip and empower your church here at Rooted Fellowship to be built upon the gifts of your Holy Spirit. I ask, Lord, that you would in time reveal to those here who are earnestly seeking your gifts exactly what their gifts are. I humbly ask, Lord, that you would bless those here today seeking specific gifts and that you would continue to generously give. But Lord, I also ask that we as your people here would also recognize that you are sovereign and wise and that we would be indeed confident and content with the gifts that you so generously give to us. We thank you for dying on a cross for our sins, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the establishment of your church. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for your power and for the way in which you mobilize your church. We thank you, Lord, for sending your Son and your Spirit. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, for the blessed act of, 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 of your Spirit. We thank you for the honor and privilege of being able to come and worship you this morning. We praise you, Jesus Christ. Amen.